0: I'm Tone Branson, and you're listening to Improv Touchstones. No characters, no bits, just conversation with some of the world's best comedic improvisers. As always on the show, we invite our interviewees to think about the five touchstones that we use here at Improv Cincinnati, that being truth, vulnerability, playfulness, positivity, and presence, and how they choose to use them on today's program improv cincinnati's artistic director colin thornton interviews mark sutton mark sutton is a founding member of the annoyance theater he is the former artistic director of learning and development in the corporate division of the famous second city theater and is now an independent learning and entertainment professional one of his more famous improv shows is the legendary bass Prov. he performs along with joe bill without further delay here is Colin's interview with Mark.
1: All right, Mark Sutton, welcome to the Improv Touchstones podcast. Uh, Happy to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I am an annoyance graduate and Mm -hmm. uh, took your class way back in 2002. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, now I'm Running Improv Cincinnati as artistic director. Uh, so you must have done something right way back then. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and I became friends with you in the last couple of years on Facebook and saw that you are a big fan of the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincinnati Reds. And I said, I got to get this guy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you can see, my uh, this is part of my Reds wall. Yeah. You got autographs and everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, So and am I right that you grew up in Indiana, right? I did.
2: My hometown in Indiana is um, if you drew a line between Chicago, where I am now and Cincinnati, my hometown would fall pretty much in the middle of that line. So growing up as a kid, you had your choice. You were either a Cub fan or a Reds fan. And I started liking baseball right around 1970. So it was pretty easy choice. (laughs)
1: <laughs> nice so do you make it down here often to see a game
2: you know i don't i uh, the last time the last time i was down there was probably i don't know five or six years ago um I, I do a job through second city with major league baseball and the players association and through that job i got to become friends with george grant and george got me and my family tickets when we were doing a family trip down there so that's the last time I've been, but I, I, try to see them whenever they come to Wrigley field or if they play the White Sox, stuff like that.
1: Well, we're definitely hooking you up when you come down. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited. We're <laughs> right behind home plate. Uh, it'll be great. And one of the things that you're doing here in Cincinnati is Bass Prov. Correct. And I wanted to talk to you about Bass Prov because mm-hmm. for me, I feel like it came at a time uh, what I call the Renaissance of, uh, Chicago long form where people were doing tagouts and split edits and swinging door and, um, coming up with, um, all kinds of formats and Bass Prov felt like a reaction to that almost, uh, you guys do all your fancy stuff. We're going to keep it simple. Talk to me about how Bass Prov started started and what it's all about.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's weird. Um, <clears throat> we just did the show at the, um, uh, the World Comedy Expo just about a week ago, and Joe talked about that a little bit. So we used to do a show at Annoyance, a late night, sort of a wild anything goes improv show called The Screw Puppies, which you might remember. And uh, The Screw Puppies was, it was the last show of the week. It was after code prison sluts on Saturday. And basically the format of the screw puppies was we'd get a bunch of people who were around and we'd go across the street and we'd get a case and a half of beer. And the idea was we take one suggestion and we're just going to be, try to be as funny as we can until the beer runs out. That was the format of the show. And uh, so one time in that show, Joe and I found ourselves on stage because we would, uh, the edits in that show were blackouts. We would rotate on lights. So it looked like a sketch show, but it was really improvised. And, um, and Joe and I find ourselves on stage and we're sitting in chairs and we're kind of, you know, yay apart. And we just start talking and we act like we're fishing. And, the, and whoever was on the lights just lets scene go for a while. And they just let it go and they let it go. And, and we had, had a term at the annoyance for a scene that kind of went long. And it was always called the fishing scene. And th- so we thought, well, this is actually a fishing scene. And then we started bringing those characters back recurring in, in screw puppies. Every once in a while we would do it. So when we closed the annoyance um, for a while, we thought, well, what if we made those guys into a show? And we toyed around with a lot of different stuff. Like we, we talked about, you know, being in the boat. And if somebody was telling a story about something that happened, you know, the, the earlier in the day or whatever, that we would leap, from the boat play that scene out switch characters all that stuff and then um the more we talked about that the more we were like no you know what let's just see what happens if we stay in the boat the whole time and we're confined and we only have so much business to do and we just have to drive this show on personality patterns dialogue stuff like that
1: nice so and you guys play the same characters uh was it Earl Hinkle and... Donnie Weaver. Yeah. Donnie Weaver. And uh, are, are those characters kind of from your own own life or just <laughs> yeah. uh, they're, familiar they're characters probably, from Indiana? <laughs>
2: yeah, they're probably composite characters. You know, Joe grew up in Indiana as well, although... Our backgrounds were starkly different. So the town I grew up in is only 5,000 people, very much a farming community, small town. Joe grew up in Indianapolis, um, you know, went to an urban high school, all that stuff. But uh, especially going to college in Bloomington, we both went to IU, you know, down there, Southern Indiana, there's a lot of guys like that, right? So so I I think there's little bits and pieces of different people that we know or grew up with or things like that in those characters.
1: So you guys were the first improvised duo doing a mono scene, which you called Real Time at the time. I talked to Joe Bill a little bit about this, that there were a few improvised duos before you, Stephanie Weir and mm-hmm. Improvised. Well, she,
2: Stephanie did a show with Jimmy Crane. <laughs> Jimmy
1: Crane, that's right. And
2: then she did a show with her husband, Bob Dassey, yeah. Um,
1: but you were the... F- you two were the first to do it as a, a mono scene. And that's pretty neat. Uh, it feels like improv history a little bit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that, uh, that you started something new. Um, so how how do you feel about being a part of improv history?
2: (laughs) That's a hard one. You know, it's, I'm, I'm glad The, the thing that I like about that element of Bassprov, you know the historical element because we've been doing the show now for i mean the first time we did it was at cif in 2001 i think something like that 2000 i saw maybe i
1: saw that performance by the way
2: <laughs> in the middle of the night right yeah. and um and I, I i think that the thing i like the most about it is that we we had the ability to show improvisers especially by traveling around and getting on some of those early festivals and things like that, and going to communities and teaching that there's other ways to do it. There was a phase, like you talked about, there was a phase for a while where everywhere we went, every festival we went to it was like, Oh, here's a Herald. Here's a Herald. Here's another Herald. Here's another Herald. And the Herald's great. Right. But, but, but I think if the thing I'm most proud of is that we showed improvisers, there's other ways to do it. And I, and I like that.
1: I like it too. I, uh, I just love the simple fact that there's no fanciness that you're just sitting there chatting and that's enough. Like mm-hmm. the conversation is interesting and funny enough and it's revolutionary in its uh, simplicity. So uh, and it's I'm, a
2: different kind of pressure, right? Because there is no one to tag you out. There's no one to, you know, we have to constantly read each other and the audience and the show, and you can't get out. So once that music starts, you're in it for 40, 45 minutes and you got to figure it out. And I love that challenge.
1: You mentioned that you met Joe bill at Indiana university and also Mick Napier there. Mm-hmm. And I know mix, I think it was improv group or maybe it was sketch group uh, was called double take with yeah. a Q at the end. And uh, uh, I really resonated with Mick, you know, starting a college improv group uh, that I started my college improv group at Western Kentucky University. And nice. um, They're still going to this day, unbelievably, like almost 25 years later. But um, talk about those early days where you guys were kind of figuring out what improv is all about and Mm -hmm. how to do it. And I'm assuming you probably trained yourselves. um...
2: Yeah, pretty much. Mick had seen a show at second city and I knew Mick prior to that. We were, uh, we were friends from the dorm, you know, and, uh, and he was a theater guy and I knew a couple, you know, I knew a bunch of his friends through theater and parties and things like that. And um, he came one year and saw a show at second city, bought the book, something wonderful right away from Jeffrey Sweet. And decided he was going to start an improv group, a sketch comedy improv group, because he wanted to do that. So he did. And he started one. And the first year they performed, I wasn't in the group. Um, they, they, had a, they had auditions and Joe auditioned and got in and several of very talented people. And then between the first year and the second year, they lost two people. And then I came into the group. But, you know, we were dumb enough back then. You're college kids, right? You were there. So it's like, oh, we're, we we hooked up with this bar. And it's like, we've got a Saturday night show, two shows a night at this place called the Rathskeller. And we're going to do an original sketch comedy show every week. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, we got to write a sketch comedy show. So we started putting in some improv and we started bringing some sketches back, you know. And, and we learned so much because it was like, oh, that's why, that's one of the reasons on SNL they have those characters that come back a lot because it's easier to write a sketch for a character you already know than to start right. from scratch if you have to put a new show up every week so yeah it was it was trial by fire
1: for sure you, you definitely put in your your 10,000 hours um yeah. <laughs> there Something happened between Indiana and Chicago that created the juggernaut that that is annoyance. Or it, maybe it was a slower build than I'm imagining. But mm-hmm. I feel like you guys moved to Chicago and then took the place by storm, and it was like, where did these guys come from? Sort of deal. But <laughs> am I wrong? Was it a slower build than than I know?
2: Well, it it was it was definitely tenuous in the beginning. So I didn't come with everybody else. I came a little bit late. I was always a little bit behind the curve. Right. And so, so Mick and Joe had come up and they'd started taking class at improv Olympic and through that met some other great people like Dave Rosowski and Richard label and people like that, Tim Meadows. And so they started working on a show called splatter theater. And, and really the whole, the whole push of annoyance was we want to go back to what the, the, playwrights theater club wanted to do. And that was use improv to create plays. So, you know, so second city was using it for sketch improv Olympic was pure performance. We wanted to find a new spot. It's like, we're going to do full length plays, but we're going to write them collectively through improvisation. So that's how it all started. And so the first show was splatter theater. And then we did splatter theater Two, and almost went belly up, like lost a ton of money, People were scattered to the wind, and, and out of a whole bunch of people, we had about nine people left, and the idea was, we're going to do one more show to try to get out of debt, and then we'll see what happens. And that was co-ed prison sluts, which you know, then ran for 11 years and started really the drive of, of what the annoyance became.
1: Well, wow, so and Splatter Theater, if I am remembering the lore correctly, because I never saw it, but was just full of blood. Like there was so much blood that yeah. when you guys left that theater, the blood was caked <laughs> into the cracks of the floors, <laughs> right? And Fake blood, obviously.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. It was a slasher movie done live on stage, so all the effects were. You know, people were rigged up with blood packs and all this stuff and and everything was painted white. Everybody wore white. Everything was white at the start of the show. And by the end of the show, everything was covered with blood.
1: And the co-ed prison sluts, I feel like gave annoyance this patina of we're the misfits, you know, like uh, we're not going to do things like Second City or IO, we're going to kind of cut against our uh, against the grain and do our own thing. Talk about that show and the impact that it had on Chicago.
2: Yeah, you know, it, you're you're absolutely right. It was we got to we got to find a spot. We got to find a place for ourselves. Right. So, you know, what's not being done? Well, there's no super dirty musical comedies out there. Let's see if we can figure that out. Because, you know, you can't. You can do a sketch show in Chicago, but you're always going to get compared to Second City. Yeah. So what else can we do? So this it was a kind of a weird idea. And it really was born from the idea. One day Mick was like, oh, what if we did a show where a guy in a dress fought a clown? And that was the original. That was the nugget. And and everything was yes handed off that. But uh, and then when we opened the show, it was uh, it's free to get in and you pay to get out. That packed the house every night because everybody's like, oh, I'll take a chance on it. It doesn't cost anything. Paid and it some out. people would give you. Yeah. And then and then after the show, like two people from the cast would come up and go, hey, this is why we do this. You know, we're, we're trying to just make rent and make this show and build a following. So on your way out, you know, you pay what you thought this show was worth. And some people would pay five bucks and some people would pay 20 and we had a bunch of kids who would come all the time. They would hardly ever pay anything, but they were spreading the word. It was like free marketing go see this show, go see this show. And so the show really, you know, obtained a, a real following over the, over that time.
1: One thing that I'm really fascinated with is the history of the real live Brady Bunch, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming came fairly soon after the co ed Prison Sluts. Boom. And it just, like, got to be so popular. I heard that there was, like, lines down the street. You were opening shows in New York City. Correct me if any of this is wrong. Had an all-star cast, but I I was just, like, watching an old video of it. And you guys are literally just doing the script from Brady Bunch. There's no... There's no, uh, it's not a pair, not a pair. It is a parody, but it's not like you're writing new lines of dialogue. It's not like the Brady Bunch movie where it's kind of a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm so interested in how that worked because people were loving it and laughing their asses off in the video. And I'm like, what they're just doing the episode. I don't understand how this is so funny.
2: You and me both, man. (laughs) It's the power
1: of nostalgia, I guess, right? Especially at the time. I think
2: there was some of that. And it it was just having that sort of communal experience, right? So we really tapped in. It was Faith and Jill Soloway, where that was their big idea. And, um, you know, it it tapped into sort of this, like you said, this nostalgic thing of, you know, every night the house was packed. We never had an empty seat for that show in a year and a half. And then, and and what it was was a bunch of people who had had that experience of the Brady bunch on their own as kids or young adults or whatever, but now they got to have that experience collectively Mm. in real time. And, and I think that's why it worked. I think it was, we weren't trying to do too much. There were, there were some little subtle winks and nods and, you know, a little bit, but, but it was, we're just going to play this straight and try to embody these characters on stage. And, and so it was like a big, almost like a communal party of Brady Bunch every week with the audience and us and everything else.
1: You played Mr. Brady, is that right?
2: I did. I, I, I was the second Mr. Brady. There was a great improviser uh, named Richard Label who played Mr. Brady the first two episodes that we did. And then I took over from there and played it the rest of the time. And then when the show went to New York, Andy Richter took my place and played Mr. Brady in New York.
1: Yeah there's a few people who were of note in this mm-hmm. uh Andy Richter would be one um mm-hmm. and Melanie Hustle
2: Melanie Hustle uh she played uh Jan and she uh she, that of course was on Saturday night live for for many years uh Jane Lynch played Carol my wife Jane Lynch from Mrs.
1: glee Green. and uh and Susan Messing played uh Cindy for a Susan while Susan
2: played Cindy yeah uh, for, she for was quite a while yeah <laughs> Um, yeah and then of course you know uh jill soloway who was one of the creators has gone on to really make her mark in larger entertainment realms you know with six feet under and transparent and all that stuff
1: oh that's interesting and uh when joe bill was interviewed on here he was telling us that a big reason he went to chicago was because faith soloway i don't know if it was his girlfriend or he he just followed her up but Mm -hmm. um Yeah, Faith
2: was in our college comedy group. So Jill's sister, Faith, was our musical director and an unbelievable musician. And she was one of the first, I think she was one one of the best of all time because she had an improviser's mind and a musician's talent. (laughs) So and she worked for Second City, too. And it was just like she really elevated that notion of what a musician can do in an improv show. She was amazing and still is.
1: There's kind of a, a lore about the early days of uh, annoyance that everybody was doing drugs and sleeping with each other. It was like you know, yeah. free love sixties. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you might want to say no comment, but just wondering uh, well, how I'll much just, of that is true. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'll just say like anything else, much of those stories highly exaggerated, but I will also say that it was a bunch of super creative people who were in their 20s and in Chicago and, and, you know, had their own place to be expressive and, you know, stuff happens sometimes. Yeah.
1: You're one of the main teachers for, uh, annoyance. I, I don't know if you're still teaching for them and yeah. I'm interested to know how that curriculum, uh, started, uh, the concept for the annoyance style and um, your participation with all that?
2: Uh, Well, I I have not taught there in in quite a while, mostly because uh, for the past 16 years, I've been doing a lot of corporate work for Second City and for myself and just the travel schedule and all that kind of I don't like missing class when I'm a teacher. And I found myself in a place where I'd have an eight week class and I'd have to miss two or sometimes three. And I just it just wasn't working to my satisfaction or annoyances, really. I didn't want to feel, I didn't want the students to feel like they are getting cheated, you know, by signing Mm -hmm. up for my class and then me not be there. So, um, but I've taught in the intensives and things like that. Uh, The style is really all born out of Mick, you know, it's it's Mick's uh, philosophy around being a powerful improviser, uh, the way you view scenes and, and choices and being proactive and things like that. And then we all kind of, spun our own takes off that a little bit. So when I was teaching there um, and it's a lot of what I still teach when I teach on the road, it, it's all about how can you be the best improviser that you can be? So, cause there is really no annoyance form or anything like that. It's more of an approach. What, what can I think about? What are my strengths? How can I be better at those? And also think about things that I could explore and be more powerful as an improviser. And you know, for me, like the phrase I often use is that it's annoyance is improv of inspiration and not obligation. I'm not obliged to a form necessarily. I'm not obliged to rules. I'm, I'm only, I'm only inspired. And if I can tap into the way I channel inspiration as a performer, I help myself and I help everybody else.
1: That's fascinating. And I like the idea of it being Inspiration that that drives the annoyance format. Is there anything, um, any ideas or lessons that uh, exercises that you develop just through kind of trial and error as a teacher that really helped you um, get across those messages?
2: Yeah, there's one. Um, uh, I read. I read. I talk about this a lot, even in corporate stuff. I read a book many years ago, uh, probably around 2007, called Deep Survival a great book. I, I'm all into like those survival shows and stuff, but uh, uh, the book is called Deep Survival and, it, and, and the, the in it, the guy goes into the science of how the brain works under stress and why in life and death situations, some people live and some people die. And a lot of it has to do with how your brain processes the danger and the fear and all that. And then what choices you make. And so as I read that, I thought, well, This is a little bit like improvisation when people get on stage and there's uncertainty and there's fear and all that. And one of the things he talked about was how people who live have a really high ability to assess the situation as it is and then make choices based on what's actually happening. Mm. People who die are people who try to make the situation what they want it or need it to be in order to be comfortable. And then it goes south. And so I started teaching that in improvisation. It's like, well, what are you trying to do? Are you are you really seeing what's happening? Or are you trying to make something happen that's not there? And so I started developing exercises around, you know, you can only respond to what was just said to you. Don't think about anything else. And really like condensing the scene into this one moment and then taking it moment to moment. And, and that's where the phrase came out. You know, you have to play the scene that you're in, not the scene that you want to be in.
1: Oh, I love that because the scene the that you scene want to be in. in
2: doesn't exist. It's only the scene that you're in. So, how do we make this great?
1: I, when I teach, I I call that concept "follow the drift," and basically, if you are paying attention to the last thing that that was said, that you'll find that your scene is drifting in a direction that maybe you didn't expect because it's mm-hmm. organically being created in real time, and sometimes you're like, "Well, I can't." drift in that way I got to bring it back to this main thing but no like let's see it drift you know like Mm -hmm. let's see the milkman uh, talking to the housewife and they realize that they have the same bulldog or whatever it is you know like that um, you're like well it can't all be about a bulldog maybe it is you know maybe that idea in your head that like the milkman is going to seduce the housewife that's not the scene They're just chatting about bulldogs and that's okay. (laughs) And you
2: might discover a hundred things in that. Yeah. I I talk about, you have a choice, right? You can either do a scene that's this deep and this wide, or you can do a scene that's this wide and this deep. Right. And I'd rather do that scene. Let's, let's tunnel down into those characters into that scene, see what's going to happen.
1: I love that. And I think um, uh, Craig Kikowski uh, says something similar. And I think it's, it, that that we're all kind of finding that the best way to improvise is being in the moment and and going with the flow and sometimes that is narrowing down your choices and instead of branching off i hear people say yes but you know and i'm like no nah, uh that sounds like a trigger word for me the but because i feel like you're saying yeah i hear you but my idea is this branch yeah. away and we don't yeah. want to branch. We want to converge. <laughs> mm-hmm. You teach corporate improv and yeah. that must be a different sort of uh, beast. You know, we do a bit of that here and uh, talk about how that's different than, you know, teaching a regular improv student.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, I've been doing it for about 16 years um, and I really enjoy it. Um, And and one of the things I enjoy about it is that I think what is the key difference? And that is that I love the challenge of walking into a room. I'm going to do this this afternoon with this company that makes chemical polymers. um, (laughs) Walking into a room with a bunch of people who maybe don't know what improv even is, Right. And then in three hours, by the time you're done, they've not only experienced what improv is, but also seen how some of those skills and those ideas that people like you and I take for granted because it's so much a part of our fabric can help them be better at what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I love about it. And that's always my goal when I walk in the room. What, what are you going to walk away from in three hours uh, that you didn't even know existed when I walked in this room that now you're going to go back to work and go, Oh man, I'm going to use that. That's going to help me. I love that part of it.
1: The improv touchstones podcast is inspired by our, our five touchstones uh, truth, vulnerability, positivity, playfulness, and presence. Um, these are just five qualities of an improviser that I prefer. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so I, try to share them with our students uh, so that they know this is what we're going for at Improv Cincinnati. Is there any of those five touchstones that you click with a little bit more than the others?
2: For me, I think it's vulnerability. Mm. You know, I, it's how I personally improvise. Uh, I don't shy away from being affected. I think to, really play scenes and to to act through scenes, which is what we are. We're actors. We just don't have a script. The ability to be affected is huge because if I'm in the audience and I see you being affected, it opens the door for me to be more affected. And and then the belief comes in, especially in long form and scenic improvisation, because that's the real challenge, right? Do I believe what's happening? Do I believe these guys or these women or whoever's up there? so that idea of vulnerability and being affected i think for me is is huge
1: yeah we we really want to have those moments as an audience too where we lean in like what's going to happen next because sometimes it's not about the laughter and when you're vulnerable you allow a different sort of audience experience that's equally satisfying as as laughter but sometimes it's not shenanigans and jokes sometimes it's it's just realness
2: absolutely you know and, and I often say about Basprov I've said this in other interviews about Basprov I I don't care if you sit for 40 minutes in Basprov and don't laugh once I don't care if you laugh at all but I know that when you leave the show you're going to be affected by something I don't know what it is but something is going to something's going to make you do that at least once um and that's that's cool that's what I love
1: you and Joe Bill must have a kind of a, a kindred uh, spirit or, a, you know, uh, it seems like you have a, a chemistry and, and click in, in a certain way. Um, what is it that you guys have in common that, you know, makes BassProv work so well?
2: Well, I think one is shared experience, right? We've been performing together in some form or another since we were in our 20s. Mm-hmm. And, and we often say that like a show like Bass Prob we couldn't have done we couldn't have done this show 30 years ago. Right, It, it came at the right time because we'd both been through ups and downs in our lives. We both had that experience. We both shared in that experience with each other because we've been friends for so long. So all of those things kind of feed into the show. But I, I think too, it, it, it is sort of that annoyance connection and we're both coming from the same place. And that's another thing I love about the annoyance approach is we don't all have to improvise the same way as long as we are keep the same things in mind. So Joe's a completely different kind of improviser than I am, but it works because we're both seeing the scene in the same way, even though our, our ways of getting through the scene might be completely different. Um, But yeah, I mean, now we don't see each other as much, you know, I've got two kids and, you know, he's got kids and he's in Europe right now, you know, traveling around Europe and, so, but, it, but it's funny, like, you know, that we can come together. We did Bassprov at this festival for the first time in live. We did it a couple of video times, but we did it live for the first time in two years. And it was just like, here we are, we're back in the boat, let's go. Uh, and so that's a very comforting thought that you, as soon as we put on those fishing hats, it's like, we're right back there.
1: Have you ever had a moment in Bassprov when you're improvising and you Uh, it was like so powerful that you cried or almost want to cry
2: yeah Uh, a couple times yeah a long time ago for some reason I don't know why we were in Seattle I believe it was and we started talking about To Kill a Mockingbird which is my favorite movie and favorite book and and Joe's character because he you know he tends to be goofy sometimes just talking about Boo Radley you know He's like, I've never seen it. All I know is Boo Radley, just Boo Radley. I'm like, it's more than Boo Radley. And we start, we start unpacking the movie and the themes and all that. And then I start recounting my favorite scene in the whole movie, which is after the trial, when uh, Scout is up in the balcony with all the African-American citizens because they're not allowed downstairs. And, And Atticus is the only one left. And he starts to pack up his stuff and leave. And they all stand.
1: And uh, I'm getting chills
2: right now talking Yeah,
1: because it. It, <laughs> they all
2: stand up and the Reverend looks down at Scout and says, you know, Miss Jean, Louise, stand up your father's passing and I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Why did you do this to me? <laughs> Every time I think of that scene, I start, I get uh, choked up because it's yeah. like, this is your father. Right. And yeah. it, it didn't affect me till I became a father. So when I started talking about that, I was just like, <laughs> right, right in the middle of the show. And it was, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it must have been so amazing to experience, you know, for the audience just to like be a part of such a powerful conversation and also really speaks to your sense of vulnerability in that moment. I think, you know, most people would try to drift away from something that gets them so emotional and Mm -hmm. to allow it to happen is pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, speaking of drifted away, we drifted away from the touchstones. I'm glad we did. But um, I always ask if you had a, a six touchstone to add to my list of five, um, a quality that you think every improviser should have, um, what would you add to the list?
2: Uh, yeah, I thought about that this morning. Um, I, I think it might be agility. I think for me, it would be agility. And, and what I mean by that is that it kind of goes to something that you were talking about earlier is that sometimes we have a tendency to get like this. Mm -hmm. And so you're in the middle of a show or you're in the middle of a scene and it doesn't feel right, but you feel so locked in that you don't explore and, or, or a show's not going so well. And it's like, well, you know, the audience isn't digging this show. I guess this show's going to suck. And my mindset is always we're making this up. We're making this up as we go along. We can change this at any time. Yeah. We have all the power to do that if we allow ourselves to be agile, to listen to the audience and and to how the show or the scene is going. And I often have improvisers, you know, after a scene that didn't go well, I'll say, Well, what were you thinking, you know, in this moment? And so many times improvisers will say, Well, I wanted to do this, but I was afraid if I did it, I would mess the scene up. Mm -hmm. And my response is always, Well, if you're thinking that, the scene is already messed up. If that's yep. where your brain is, the scene's already messed up. So what are your choices? Stay messed up in the same way or take a chance at messing it up another way that might find brilliance. So being being agile on those moments and, and, and moving mm-hmm. with power through those moments, I think is, is huge.
1: I really feel like um, that concept of agility is also really helpful for businesses and You know, I'm sure you talk about it in corporate team building as well, because it's not Mm -hmm. just improvising on stage. It's it's a way of life being agile.
2: Very much so. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, looking forward
0: to seeing you in person.
2: All right, guys. We'll see you soon.
0: You have been listening to Improv Touchstones. If you like what you heard, we'd love to hear from you. Leave a review or send your thoughts or suggestions to info at improvcincinnati.com.